Welcome to the Tool Shed, a podcast covering all aspects of fantasy baseball to help you win all of your fantasy leagues. From the MLB draft all the way to the show, we're here to help give you the edge in your dynasty leagues. Now, here are your hosts, Eric Cross and Chris Clegg. Welcome into episode 183 of the Tool Shed with Clegg and Cross, powered by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm your host, Eric Cross, and with me as usual is my 80-grade co-host, Mr. Chris Clegg. Chris, what's going on, bud? Not too much. Just uh, another day in paradise, my friend. Good to be back on the show, talking with you guys. We have a, a good episode ahead, and a fun one at that. And I'm really looking forward to chatting. He's been a guest on the show before, but yeah, it's going to be a good one tonight. Yeah, at least once, maybe twice or three times. I we should keep like a running list of the most frequent guests on our podcast. But this gentleman has been on at least once, I think more than one time. He is the head of MLB info at Underdog Fantasy, and he has his own Substack as well and a Patreon, so you can get a little bit of content everywhere from this guy on Twitter at Too Much Tuma. Brendan Tumor joins us. Brendan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? Not too bad, man. Not too bad. How's things in your corner of the world? It was good. What you were just talking about, like keeping track of the number of times people comes on. It reminds me of SNL when they when a guest hosts <laughs> like five different shows. It's called like the Five Timers Club. So I don't think I'm up to five yet, but maybe we'll go back into the records and keep track of how close I am to getting up there. But no, I mean things are good. You know, it's early February. Pitchers and catchers report in about a week. You know, a lot of the off-season prospect analysis that I know you guys are obviously doing year-round. But on my end, it's a, like a big task to just catch up on everything that happened and to do that during the off-season. So I'm getting pretty ready, I think, to start looking ahead to 2023. Yeah, it's that, it's that time of year. It's starting to get a little bit warmer here. It was up near 43 degrees in Maine today. So we're out of the frigid cold. Pitchers and catchers are under a week at this point. Actually, when this episode releases, it'll be just a few days away. So we're getting there. The offseason is almost over. We almost have games. To, you know, Obviously, spring training games start like a week after everyone reports for the most part. So we're probably, what, about three-ish weeks from spring training games and about you know, a little under two months from opening day. So we are almost there. This episode's obviously since Brendan is at Underdog Fantasy. We're gonna talk all things underdog fantasy, you know, everything you can, you know, all the games you can play there. Brendan will get kind of give like an overview of underdog fantasy, his path there, and we'll get into some best balls, some ADP for those best balls over on that platform. So we're gonna have a, a nice little hodgepodge of stuff here on the show today. But before we do the usual housekeeping, you can find us on Twitter. As I said, Brendan is at too much Tuma. Chris is at Rotocleg. I'm Eric Cross04, and our show is at Toolshed Pod. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate and review. Check out my Patreon for more work from me and Chris's Substack for more work from him. And before we get into our show, but you know, we're talking about underdog, and we got to do our quick read here for underdog fantasy. If you sign up using the promo code Toolshed, you'll receive a 100% deposit match up to $100, and that can be used for any of their fun fantasy games, including MLB Best Balls, which we'll talk about tonight, individual player pickums across all sports, and so much more. Set up today using the code toolshed at play.underdogfantasy.com slash the letter P dash the dash toolshed. All right, let's get right into it and I'll give the floor to Brendan here to give again, talk about underdog, your path there, and anything else you want to bring up. Yeah, so I think I was talking with a buddy about this the other day, actually, just about the idea that the more and more, the deeper you dive into the baseball world, the fantasy baseball world, you want to do more leagues, you want to find ways to get more skin in the game, but it's kind of hard to sign up for a lot of leagues when you know that that's going to come with grinding you know, waivers during the season, setting your lineup either every day or every week, but you still want a way to kind of capitalize on all the knowledge and research you're doing, so I mean... I'm obviously a little bit biased because I work for underdog, but I do think that is a great way to just kind of like stay plugged in and multiple ways. I mean, first and foremost, like our best ball drafts, the biggest difference, and we'll get into it. We'll talk about the format and how the scoring works and all that, because there are edges to be gained both, you know, from a macro analysis and micro player takes. But I think the biggest thing with best ball, especially on underdog is that you can, it's open to beginners if you know someone just wants to do a few drafts. I have some friends who are baseball fans, but again, they don't want to commit to you know 
waivers and lineups and all that during the summer. So this is like an easy way you can draft your teams, follow it during the season. But then if you want to kind of take it to that next level, you can enter the big tournaments, you know, up to 150 times. And it kind of, it kind of becomes creating your own portfolio. Let's say you're really high on Corbin Carroll this season. You can keep drafting him a lot of times and get up to, you know, a 30% or 35% exposure to him. And then if he hits in a big way, like you expect, you know, you're going to benefit across like all your teams. And if you aren't as into Julio Urias or anyone for whatever reason, you know, you can not draft him and then you'll have a really exposure rate to him. And that's kind of, the best way that I think to of you, you know, doing a lot of underdog drafts is especially the best, the big best ball tournaments is kind of creating that portfolio. But yeah, I think that's how we like to view it. It's, you know, anyone can play, but it's, you know, harder to master. Yeah, that's good. It, underdog offers a lot of things outside of best ball too. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about the other awesome things you all have to offer on the site? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, baseball related right now, it's all off season. So we're doing, you know, the drafts and you can just do a 12 person draft, put in, you know, three, five, 10, 20 bucks. And there's payout structures for that. You can also do the tournament, which again, like the main one right now is called the dinger, uh, which has a hundred thousand dollars to first place. And that's the one you can enter, you know, up to 150 times on the football side of things, you know, the biggest best ball mania three this past summer, you know, someone won $2 million in a best ball tournament like that. So it's really cool. And then during the season, we have a pickums, which are, let's say we have a lineup that says Max Scherzer is going to have higher or lower than seven and a half strikeouts that night. You can choose that. If you think it's going to be higher or lower, you can combine that with another pick, you know, maybe Raphael Devers total bases that night or something. And that's what really interests me about following baseball these days. Again, I love season long fantasy. I play in so many leagues. So don't get me wrong. And I'm not coming at this from that sort of approach, but uh, there just are, there really are so many more ways to get skin in the game these days. And there are ways to do it efficiently where it doesn't, you know, take up your whole summer with lineups and waivers and all that. Yeah. Because there's only so many, like fab leagues you can play in. And I way overextended myself last year. I was probably in like 26, 27 season long leagues and at least 13, 14 were fab and lineup setting. And that's a lot. And that's pretty taxing. So when you have to run fab and set lineups, you know, the DC format's cool. You draft and keep the same team all year, but you do have to set lineups each week. But I think best ball is the, really the becoming the more popular thing now because you can draft so much you can draft for cheap and a lot of people kind of use it early on as like a, a mock, like mock practice per se and you get a little skin in the game too like you know i hate mock drafting but best ball at least gives you a good feel for the player pool and ultimately like you can win something out of it, which is awesome so best ball's becoming bigger and bigger and what you guys have to offer at Underdog, I think it's really, really unique. It's a cool format. You know, there's a couple different ones, like you said. We can kind of dive into those. But also the way the scoring works is different, and we're, we're going to break it all down for you. But it is unique enough in a way where it's unlike any other product out there, any other best ball out there, in my opinion. And it's pretty simple, too. You can do drafts and be done so quickly. You can do slow draft, too, but you can also do the fast drafts and in maybe an hour, like it's crazy how quick it may be even less. You can be in and out really quick in some of these, which is awesome. Yeah. And we had a decision to make at one point this off season about, should we try to be more, you know, similar to five by five roto leagues with all the positions laid out and just be clear if anyone doesn't know already, but the positions on underdog are just pitcher infield outfield, at least for right now where we've kept it very simple that way. Again, it's a low barrier to entry, but there are ways to you know if you feel you have an edge either macro level or micro player takes like there are ways to benefit from that but we had a decision to make in that sense of if we wanted to you know try to be more like some of the you know nfbc type leagues that have those scoring formats that a lot of fantasy baseball analysis is built around but we decided not to because it's its own game and it comes to its own quirks and its own challenges and all that but there the one thing i will say again anyone listening to Toolshed pod i know is going to be a sharp fantasy baseball mind and there are i'm telling you this from the inside there are edges to be had this underdog best ball for baseball is 
still such in its early game. And even if you just take take it from a standpoint of which positions to fade early and which positions to target late, you can have a leg up on the competition. Trust me. Definitely good knowledge there. And it's good to know. Like, And that's kind of what we preach in general. Like, You need to know your league format and settings in any league you play. Yeah. If you're going to excel and you're going to win, know the rules. And that seems so simple, but I can't tell you the countless times like, oh, I didn't realize this draft was OBP instead of average. Like, <laughs> why didn't you read the Constitution or just look at the settings on the website? Like, right. People fail to do that. And so I think you can exploit it. And there's also, like you said, avenues where knowing position scarcity too can kind of help you out a decent bit there. And I don't know. I just I find it to be really fascinating. And I have only done one this offseason, and obviously I want to do more. I, I had one. I had a team last year in one of the big competitions. I forgot which one it was, but it missed like the final cut by just a tiny bit. And I was like, golly, man, it was so like addicting watching it like – because the it's not like just a season long best ball. Like there's also the cuts and like you know it's like a you can probably describe better how that works towards the end of the season. But I'm, oh, I don't yeah. think I'm doing it justice. <laughs> no, I just want to chime in too and say I think it's really cool for Underdog to be partnering you know with you guys, which is you know a dynasty and prospect based podcast. Because what I was talking before about all the different ways to get skin in the game with baseball nowadays, I I just don't want this to come off as like oh this is just like an a pitch for underdog and you know that that it's better than every other format i just think it's another just another way to play and i love like i have some big redraft leagues that are again like five by five the more traditional fantasy i play in multiple dynasty leagues i play in a relief pitcher only league i buy and sell prospect baseball cards you know i play season-long wagers and these are just now to add in you know underdog best balls like guys like us you know we're guys and girls like us who are following baseball all day, every day, there are multiple ways then to engage with that. And I think it's fun. Like Bobby Witt Jr. is, I love Bobby Witt Jr. Underdog, I don't think is his best format. So if I was, you know, doing any drafts, I wouldn't be taking him there, but I still want some Bobby Witt Jr. exposure. So I'm going to be <laughs> taking him in my redraft leagues when I have a pick at the turn and I might buy, you know, some of his baseball cards and invest in him that way. So I'm always thinking, you know, okay, I learned this bit of information. How can I, you know, try to profit off this or just benefit from this knowledge of what I think is going to happen? Dude, the, the, I've been loving underdog fantasy and I'll admit I'm a little late to the underdog game, but I've been loving, I've already, I've already had a thousand dollar winning thing on a pick'em. I've been loving doing the, you know, the pick'ems right now, or I've been kind of hammering those. And when bait, and that's just doing like football and basketball for the most part, when baseball comes around, that's gonna be a problem. I'm gonna be on your your site like all day, every day, like just like all right, what's the what's the strikeout or you know the total basis for that? Or it's like I'm gonna be doing this all the time, and we're probably, we're probably gonna tweet out some things from our toolshed account every day, like hey, this is these are our our you know picks for the day or or whatever it's gonna be. So yeah, the fact that the underdog has so many just different things can you can scratch whatever itch you wanna you know you wanna get from your fantasy you know world, and I I've, I've absolutely loved everything so far. All right, so let's talk a little bit about some strategy for the best ball because I think that's probably that's obviously what's most tangible right now. The you know the pickums are not live right now because it's not baseball season, but when we right. get in season, you know there will be those pickums, which is great. I know Eric's doing a lot of basketball pickums right now, and he's really enjoying that. I don't follow NBA close enough, so I, I can't do that. But when baseball <laughs> comes around, I'll be doing the pickums you know, every day, which is quite fun. But the best ball is completely relevant right now and you can j jump in one you can be done really quick or you can do it i think y'all offer both slow and fast drafts in them right yeah the fast drafts are 30 seconds per pick so they, they're definitely i just you said before you know maybe in under an hour and i would say you can get it done and then for sure yeah and 30 seconds is quick i did one of them i didn't even realize it by accident i got one i was like oh it's 30 seconds. it was like one of the first one i did last year i'm like oh man like this is really fast like you got to be on the ball with it so it creates a cool challenge. So do you want to explain the difference in the warm-up and the dinger? Like what exactly are the differences there, if, if any? Yeah, okay. So it's just starting with the basics. Like first and foremost, the scoring, it's points-based. Um, I won't just like read out all the ways that players score points, but it's it's if you've played points-based, you know, fantasy baseball, you, you get points for homers, doubles, triples, walks, runs, stolen bases. That's how hitters score. 
pitchers. It's only starting pitchers and you get points for, you know, wins, inning pitch, quality starts, strikeouts. And, you know, there are some edges to take advantage of just from kind of understanding that scoring and, you know, using projection system to spit out who the top highest scoring players might be. And then the other thing that I mentioned is that it's only pitcher infield outfield. Again, it's, it's kept very basic like that. And that might seem like, okay, you know, that makes sense. It's everything's pretty even, but the more and more that we're learning about the game, this is really, it's our third year doing um, MLB best ball, but it's really only the second year that we've had kind of the same format that people have had a chance to grow with the game, to look back at the results last year and figure out what's the optimal approach. And we've already seen that, you know, we've had drafts up now for a little over a month and ADP is starting to kind of reflect some of those changes. For example, if you, if you look at the ADP right now, the first eight players taken are all outfielders. And that's because outfielders just so shallow this season. And when you combine all infielders to make one position, you don't have third base, second base, shortstop. It just, that side of the equation becomes so much deeper. Yeah. So it is interesting. I'm sitting, I'm looking at the ADP right now and we see, you know, the first eight are all outfield. I do have a question. Y'all have the projected scoring. Do you have your own projection system within there? How's that work? Yeah. And I realized I didn't even answer your question about like the dinger and the warmup, but no, you're good. there's not too much of a difference there. The dinger is, you know, or like our marquee tournament, it's $10 entry and it has much higher payouts and all the information, you know, is within underdog um, to look that up exactly what the payouts are. And then the warm up is just a $3 tournament. So it's, if you want to do some practice, you know, it obviously makes sense to start with the warm up and then eventually hop into the dinger. As for the specifics of all that, there's, underdognetwork.com which has you know football and basketball and other stuff on there too but if you go to the baseball tab you'll see all my articles about the game that's where i'm making like tailor-made content around underdog drafts and it'll just have some you know basic outlines as to how the game works yeah and so you mentioned obviously you get the three positions in the field, outfield, and pitcher. And like right off the bat, like that just devalues catchers a ton. I was I had the ADP in a spreadsheet here, so I can do some quick player lookups. And obviously, the top catcher in general, JT Riomuto, came comes in as infielder thirty nine with an ADP right around pick one twenty. Alvarado was a little higher, but he's listed as an outfielder here, obviously because he played more outfield than catcher last year. And then you know, Will Smith was about. I don't know, 20 to 30 spots below that. Adley was about 10 spots below that. So right off the bat, catchers get devalued a ton in these formats. Yeah, no. And so I think like understanding, like Chris, what you were saying before about just like understanding your league settings and all that for underdog. I think one of the, I do this all the time when new projection systems come out. So, you know, when Steamer first came out last fall and then I did the same thing, you know, with the bad X and ATC and everything. If you just download projection systems, from fan graphs and you make a formula to adjust for underdog scoring you can get season-long projections from whatever your favorite projection system is you can even then upload that into the underdog website and draft off that but the projection that you see on the site when you next to a player's name is just underdog's internal projection for them it's not based on any of the publicly available ones on fan graphs. Cool. So did y'all build that out like yourselves or how's that work? Yeah. So that's not exactly like my department. I, I We do it through, you know, like a third party who creates the projection first and everything. My advice would be not to get too carried away with, you know, that number. I definitely think I have, you know, my rankings up and, you know, for hitters, especially I prefer the bad X. So I kind of use that projection system to then, make my own rankings and like one of the articles i did recently was just a simple you know players who the bat x projects to outperform their underdog adps right now and there there are some you know screaming values even doing something like an analysis as simple as that and that's where i talk about how you can attack these from you know a macro a macro plan of or macro approach is just spitting, you know, the underdog scoring into a projection system. Cause not everyone's doing that because our drafts are kind of 
so easy to do and kind of so fun to do. A lot of people are just going through them on their phone and drafting off ADP, but that's not where the biggest edges are. Now, who, who are, you mentioned there's some screaming values. You can't just <laughs> say that and not like drop a name or two here. You don't have to give away the entire thing, but give, let's, uh, give us a name or two that are some screaming values. Yeah. So again, underdognetwork.com is, you know, I try to do at least one article a week just around our game. And there's some other people on Twitter um, who do, you know, a lot of great work around underdog baseball as well. So I, you know, try to give them shout outs as much as I can and we can get into that a little bit later. But yeah. So first and foremost, Alex Bregman, who, when we talk about, you know, traditional fantasy leagues this season, he might not. He, he is a third baseman, which is a weak position, but he doesn't steal bases. And it's not that his batting average is so great, um, but he hits so many doubles and he draws so many walks. And because underdog is points-based scoring and there are differences if you hit a single versus a double even, that just like really adds up over time. And also for whatever reason, the bad X just really likes Bregman. So when I wrote the article, which came out last week, he was projected for the 22nd. Well, let me make sure I have this right. Yeah, he was projected for the 22nd most points among hitters, but he was the 36th hitter being drafted. So to me, that was just someone to move up draft boards early on. And and then Matt Chapman was another who, again, when we think of Matt Chapman from a season-long road, like that's gross to me. I don't want his 210 batting average, but <laughs> he actually does draw a lot of walks. It's just not shown in his OBP because his average is so low. Right, but again, because underdog scoring is cumulative base, like those walks add up. He also hits homers. He also doubles, and that again, that just made him turn out to be a really good value, according to the bad X. Yeah, so the, these guys that have the lower averages, like like a Matt Chapman, by the fact that he can make up for that with the extra base hits that he has, plus the walks. Like you see, you see a lot of guys on here that have like like Soto pushes up the two in this format. Is you know same thing with him. Obviously, he walks. That crap ton more than almost anybody else uh, we've ever seen. So yeah, that definitely uh, gives him a boost. You know, Mike Trout back up into the top ten here because he walks a lot. Obviously, a lot of extra base hits with him as well. So yeah, you, you definitely sense a trend with, with these kind of like the ADPs with these guys that you see start seeing some similarities there for sure. Yeah, so I want to take you guys just kind of back to like the beginning when we first put a tournament up, which was at the very end of December, and that might have been the best week to draft honestly because there was no ADP. Set yet? I don't. I'm trying to remember if the projection systems were out yet. I know at least Steamer was, but if you came in with the plan of attack, like you, you might have been, you know, really cleaning up during that time because the biggest storyline when all these drafts first started happening was just realizing how scarce outfield is. My first article this off season was about it. It was just called "Understanding Outfield Scarcity on Underdog," and I'm trying to pull it up now to get the exact numbers, but. I think I use steamer projections and among the top hundred hitters, something like 67 of them were projected to be infielders and oh, wow. eight of the, at the time, eight of the first 19 were outfielders. So what that meant is if you didn't get one of those top outfielders, it kind of creates for anyone who plays fantasy football, it was creating and honestly still is a bit of like a running back dead zone, but an outfield dead zone where people start panicking that they don't have outfielders. So they push them up their draft boards. And then that leaves a ton of value for people to get infielders like Alex Bregman, like Matt Chapman. It's good stuff. There's like you said, I think you have me wanting to like literally just do a draft right now. <laughs> we, we, we should have just done like a draft on air or something like that. I know we could uh, have. a lot of people do like, I know Bubba's done some, the Welsh has done some just like, like live people love, you know, talking about their draft, watching other people draft all that stuff. So it, it really is a good idea. And like the way I was kind of like just describing it, I kind of, you know, was just realizing myself, like this isn't, you know, five by five, 15 team, you know, over an overall competition that we see a lot. It's just its own game and it comes with its own, you know, opportunities of ways to attack it and everything. And, it, you know, it might not be for everyone, but I do think if you just have, you know, a knowledge base of how projections work and, you know, the player pool, especially for this season, that you can really come up with some top-down approaches of, of drafts. And you can, if you enter, you know, the dinger, it's a $10 tournament. You can enter it up to 150 times. You're just getting more and more shots at that overall prize. Yeah, that's that's awesome. 
So just kind of looking at the scoring system of the the whole process, like you've kind of hit on some players that do, you know, get an advantage. On the pitching side, it's pretty simple. You get five points for a win, five for a quality start. I love that you factor both of those evenly. Strike out three, inning pitch three, and an earned run is minus three. So it's pretty simple. Like I feel like normally you're just your best pitchers are going to be the guys to get like the, those those top arms are going to be the ones like maybe I'm wrong but I don't really see like a a huge thing to exploit with pitchers just guys that throw innings and strike out guys ultimately would probably be the the best way to go about pitchers but when we look at hitters there's some good values you you look at so singles three points a doubles six points a triples eight points a home runs ten points you know walk is three two as you mentioned like walks are really valuable there. And you hit by pitch, same thing. And runs and RBIs don't matter as much. Like, they're two. So, like, the fact that a player – so, just a good player on a bad team that's going to have – let's say Brian Reynolds, for instance. Like, Reynolds doesn't need the huge run and RBI totals to be effective in this kind of format because he does all the other things well. He just has a bad lineup around him. Is that pretty accurate description? Yeah, and I think what you're kind of hitting on is just the importance of volume. And especially from – uh, a best ball perspective is there is no in-season waivers. There are no in-season trades. So what you draft is what you got. And on top of that, you know, right now underdog is only 20 rounds. So almost more important. I talk about this with people all the time when it comes to late round picks more important than it's really easy to say, Oh, this person has uh, a low ADP. They're a great target. They're high upside. To me, it becomes less about ADP and more about the roster spot. You only get 20 roster spots, so you need to maximize them. So you really, it gets really hard to, you know, take too many risky picks. And some people think that the way to play best ball is by making that home run swing. Oh, this player who's taken in the last round is going to be amazing. I kind of think it's the opposite. I think you just want to continuously raise your floor of playing time at every point in the draft and that way you can you know be the last team standing with enough usable players yeah i think that aspect is pretty underrated when we think about just volume volume is the name of the game for every format in my opinion and people kind of neglect it but the old boring guys that get plenty of at-bats or innings have their value in any fantasy league but especially best ball like I, i i don't think we can stress that enough that volume matters so, so much there. So thinking about that, I'm looking at like the roster set up. We kind of looked at the values of how to value a player, but how do we actually fill out a roster and a roster that can compete? Because, you know, a starting lineup has three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders, and a flex. So you have 10 starters and you have 10 bench players. We've kind of established that outfield's pretty scarce, but how do you like to build in general? Like when you're looking to fill out a roster, like what do you want to do in order to feel like you have the best chance to set yourself up for success in this format? Yeah. So I know we're bouncing around to a few different areas here, but just about like volume, what you were saying. So last year we have these things called advance rates. So the way the tournament works is you start in a 12 team league and from that 12 team league, at some point, I forget the exact date, but it's around like the middle of the August, the regular quote unquote regular season ends and the top three teams from your 12 team league advance to kind of the next stage. And so you need to be, you know, one of those teams to have any shot at the overall prize so that you're able to advance. And then you're in a two week playoff round where from there, the top two teams advance to the following round and that happens a couple more times until you get to the ultimate final. So what we call advance rates are after the regular season when that first playoff cut happens, which might be what you were referencing earlier. And so last summer, towards the end of the summer, we ran the data on the players who had the highest advance rate. So number one was obviously Aaron Judge because he just went nuclear. Number two is Paul Goldschmidt because he went nuclear. But of the top 20 I'm counting them up right here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So of the top 20 in advance rates, seven of them were among the top 20 just in plate appearances. So what you were saying about volume, like that's definitely one of the best ways you can advance. Francisco Lindor 
Dansby Swanson, Josh Bell, Brandon Nimmo, you know, these guys just accumulated enough plate appearances up until that point that they've really helped teams move on to the next round. Yeah, I think that's some good good info there. Do you you think about the volume and you know everybody wants the rookies and you actually had a nice color coded spreadsheet that you tweeted out with some of the rookies and their projection and their ADP on the platform. How do you think rookies should be handled in in this kind of format and even in, I guess in a best ball in a general sense? Yeah. So, sorry, I'm just going to answer your first question about the builds. You were asking, yes. you know, what's yes. the best way to go back? So then I, I want to dive into rookies with you guys, since you guys are the experts in that topic. So I want to give a shout out to his name is at baseball. It's like at B three is ball on Twitter. He does a ton of this macro level work on what builds were the most successful. I don't even know how he does it. We, shared kind of the behind the scenes data with him and he just spits it out into these really nice looking charts. I use them in a lot of my articles, but he's a must follow for anyone who's serious about playing fantasy baseball or sorry, playing underdog um, fantasy baseball. And what we found that last year, the most common builds people use seven or eight pitchers. A lot of the talk last season heading into best ball was pitching is going to be so volatile and you might need so many two-start pitchers per week that you just want to have as many as possible. So be taking them late in your drafts. But what ended up happening is the teams who had the best results, especially in the playoff rounds, were the teams that had less pitchers. And not only the ones that had less pitchers, but the ones who drafted those pitchers early. We did learn that late-round pitchers didn't fare well at all on underdog and i think it's because this day and age in baseball fewer and fewer stars are going 180 200 innings right so if our scoring is built around wins and quality starts and innings pitch like those are three of the only ways that pitchers can score points on underdog you need pitchers to be piling those up in bunches and i love brian bayo you know in most leagues this year. I love Roanzi Contreras and Aaron Ashby before today's shoulder news and all these other young guys who I think could be great long-term who I love in dynasty, but for just best ball and especially best ball and underdog, they just can't be counted on enough. And it's kind of a trap to take them late and waste that roster spot. And the better way to build a pitching staff, I think is to get a few kind of horses within your first six seven rounds of a draft so you think the volume just really focusing on the innings is really the biggest thing because that's how i've always approached general best balls too but in this format too it just seems like the more innings you can get the better off you're going to be innings yeah and it's not just like season-long innings it's pitchers who on a per start basis can go deep enough to get a win in a quality start. It's like there was a report from Dan Connolly of the athletic who covers the Orioles that early on Grayson Rodriguez isn't going to be even allowed to go into the fifth inning of some of his starts. So to me, that's like a total waste of a best ball pick because even if he's awesome on a perning basis, and even if we all think he's going to be amazing long-term, he's just not even going to have the chance to get a win or a quality start. Yeah, that definitely matters and i think it's kind of right because it's flashy it's like all right i love Bram bayo too i think he's gonna be a massive breakout but how many innings do we get out of him and how many innings on a per start basis so certainly something to think about when you know drafting these guys in a best ball yeah so we're kind of trying well like the way this conversation has been going it it's been very similar to the way it's played out this offseason leading up to this point where it really started all about that outfield scarcity. My advice, if, especially if, if you have a top you know, eight, nine pick, just take an outfielder. Even if you love Vlad Jr., even if you love Jose Ramirez, there will always be an infielder available a round or two later. So you just really want that anchor outfield option. And from there, you don't have to be the first person in your league to take a pitcher. But within the first six, seven, eight rounds, I want three or four starters that I can feel really good about because what that does is it lets you not have to take pitchers with your final picks. 
And because infield is so deep, that's kind of where you can really come back around um, to infield, especially that's my advice for anyone thinking about drafts early on. And then, I mean, from there, there's all different sorts of builds you can do. Some people like to experiment with only five starting pitchers. If they took, you know, three or four early, same thing with outfield. Some people think, oh, I took my two outfielders early. I'm going to wait on this position for a while. So there's multiple ways to approach it like that. It shouldn't be like the advice isn't just, okay, take six pitchers, seven infielders, seven outfielders. It depends when you took those positions early too. And yeah, and to go to your point there, look at the ADP. Obviously, the first eight are all outfielders. And then after that, the next like 20, 22 or so, it's like probably 16 or 17 of those are infielders with only – I think two or three outfielders mixed in. So, yeah, you can definitely, if you want, hammer that outfield early. And outfield in general, just in any format this year, I've been trying to get outfield early, but it looks like this format especially. And that's why you see a lot of these outfielders pushed up, like a like a Kyle Schwarber. And obviously his kind of profile helps him as well. Obviously he has a lot of extra base hits, a lot of walks, a lot of dingers. He's the outfield 10 at an ADP of 16. And the Ryan Reynolds, we talked about earlier, he's outfield 12 with an ADP of 32 and a half. So, yeah, this the outfielders get pushed up so much here, and then there's a pretty you know solid drop off after that. It's just outfield's so bad. Like I, I'm just constantly like, all right, I got a couple outfielders early, and this is never enough, especially in a five outfielder league. Like, oh my gosh, like there's no good way to build a team in a, a 15 team five outfielder league right now because the outfield's just so you're you're gonna in I guess in any 15 team league you're gonna have holes, but it is brutal to think about. Yeah, and this is a bit of like a next level way to think about this. But like I said, like people should be willing. Underdog is still, this is only the second year we've had this scoring system with, you know, all the same format and everything. So people should be willing to, you know, push the boundaries in certain things. We don't know what's most optimal yet. I think we've learned a lot about the outfield scarcity, the starting pitcher thing that we've hit on. And I, I'm, you know, in, fully full belief that that's the macro way to approach underdog drafts this year. But what we also saw is last year, you know, Paul Goldschmidt doesn't fit that description. He was just, you know, an early-ish round infielder who happened to be amazing. So at the end of the day, you still <laughs> got to nail some of those like individual player takes to, you know, really come out on front. Now, who have been some of your top rostered players so far? Like, who, who are some guys you keep going back to that? Like you said, getting that exposure rate. Who are some guys for you that you have a high exposure rate to? Yeah, so we have, like, employee-only drafts. I don't, as an employee, can't play in the, the public ones that everyone else does. But I'm always monitoring ADP. I'm having a lot of conversations I'm seeing on Twitter who everyone's drafting. And, and then, like I said, I got my employee-only drafts. But early on, Corbin Carroll's ADP was low. It has since shot up crazy to the point where I actually don't advise taking him anymore just because everyone kind of fell in love with him. But he was someone early on I really like. This is like if Corbin Carroll is like the sexiest player you can name, this is like the least sexy player you can make. But Will Myers as a last round pick right now makes a ton of sense to me. He's infield eligible. You can wait on that position. I love the move to Great American Ballpark for him. But let me go through and then like like I was talking about Bregman, Chapman, what happens if you do start, you take an outfielder round one and that's your anchor outfield, right? That means you don't have to take as many later on because you have one of the best. What starts to happen is then everyone starts reaching for outfield and that's where you can really pounce with those Bregman, Matt Chapman, any other infielder similar to that where those guys become real values because they're going to score a ton of points and you're getting them at a spot where they're falling because someone else is taking you know randy arosarena or steven kwan or whatever other outfielder is getting pushed up the board in my opinion too high all right so let's talk some rookies we all love rookies you mentioned carol let's hit on some rookies that we think could be impacts this year you had a good tweet there talking about these guys and their adps and Let's see who we think is going to contribute. I think obviously the the two biggest ones are are Carroll and Gunnar Henderson. They're Carroll's actually going about twice as high as Henderson, which is interesting. His ADP is from your tweet at least from two days ago. He was a sixty two, and Gunnar Henderson's was one twelve. Like that's a pretty big gap there for those two. 
I'm curious to know your like you said you're getting a lot of Carroll, but are you getting a lot of Henderson too? Yeah. So one thing on rookies in general, and this is something where I think long-term is definitely an area that we can keep growing in, but we don't have every rookie or prospect available. It's just an issue with, um, you know, the backend stats provider. And I think, you know, looking ahead to next year, that's definitely something that we'll want to look into and everything. It's also really tough to predict, you know, which rookies are going to matter and be draft eligible. But if you do want, you know, Jordan Walker, for instance, like he's not available in the player pool, which I know stinks, but of the rookies that we do have available to work with, I did do a little write up on the 11 who are being drafted as for Carol and Henderson. So what I had done is I used ATC projections for rookies in particular. I just kind of think the bad X underrates rookies a lot sometimes, or is just a little bit more bearish on them since the dinger open, which again, is that our $10 quote unquote premier tournament. Corbin Carroll has already climbed like two rounds. Like he was going in the mid eighties back around a few weeks ago. And now he's, I checked today. He's going at pick 60.1. So I just think a lot of the value on him in particular is already lost. I think everyone on this podcast loves Corbin Carroll and thinks he's going to be amazing, but there is still some risk that it's not going to happen in year one. So I kind of think, at this point, unless that ADP comes down a lot, that the ship has sailed there. Whereas Gunner, I think, is actually, he hasn't seen that ADP bump, and that might be because he's an infielder and Carroll's an outfielder. But I think that I'm also really surprised, surprised, bullish on Gunner Henderson. And when I did that analysis of where his ATC projection lines up and what pick he's going at, it, he seems like a perfectly reasonable value. And again, he has upside on that because that projection isn't going to be, you know, as high of a ceiling as he could ultimately actually hit. Yeah. Projection systems are normally pretty conservative on prospects, especially when we don't have a lot on them. And you're just going to find similar outputs on projections from these players. And normally they're not great. If you have a prospect that's coming up that has a massive projection on them, then people are like freak out. So that's not really the norm. I'm, Sorry to cut you off. I'm curious how you guys, because I feel like when we're talking prospect rankings and dynasty, we're always thinking for the long term. So like for my dynasty team, I want Corbin Carroll to be awesome this year, but it isn't as crucial that he's amazing in 2023 for me that it is that he's amazing in 2025. So how do you guys approach rookies in redraft formats, especially, you know, those top highly drafted rookies who, you know, go, who aren't last round picks type thing, kind of like, Carol Gunner this year, Bobby with last year, those types. I usually avoid. I've actually gotten some shares of Corbin Carroll this year. And I think actually one at least a couple of, of Gunner as well. Cause you know, I think they're actually good values this year, especially Gunner. And really obviously third base falls off pretty quickly after Gunner. But I, I think projections are very conservative. I'm actually working on a, rookie projection kind of thing for my, my Patreon that I'll probably have up within a week or so. It's all just, you know, doing enough of, I have no formula. I'm just kind of like looking at players profiles and whatnot, but I love Carol for this year. Like I think he's, he's going to run wild, but he's already the fastest guy in baseball last year. Arizona runs a ton. So I think he's going to be, like I said, he could go like 2030 this year and it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me. And I, I hate to, you know, put those types of numbers on a rookie. I think it's unfair. And we've always, you know, preach like caution with these guys and like the Acunas and all them aren't, you know, what we should be expecting. But if they're a good value, I will definitely go after them. But that's the thing. Usually they're not good value, especially like with Jordan Walker, like you, like you just mentioned, he's not on the in, on underdog yet, but his ADP, I think in general is like, you know, 250-ish on like, you know, NFBC or something like that. But like if we get in the spring training with all the Cardinal players at WBC plus bar and he starts raking, you could chop a good 50 spots off that he'll probably be going top 200 so it's i i like to get the the later ones like i got a lot of like oswald peraza this year i got a lot of ezekiel tovar this year like miguel vargas those types because you usually the top guys just aren't worth it they get pushed up way too high and i'm like all right yeah could they return positive roi sure but it's hard and risky to kind of predict that for a rookie for the most part yeah i mean they're tough and more often than not you draft the rookies and they don't really 
pan out. I will say, because I've gotten this question quite a bit, like last year's class of rookies was exceptional. I mean, Julio Rodriguez was amazing. Michael Harris came up and was amazing. You had Spencer Strider. The list just kind of goes down of all the rookies that were really, really good in last year's class. And I'm not really certain that it's going to continue to be that way. I think last year was a product of a couple of things. First off, the COVID year, there was no minor leagues. So these guys did a lot of developing on their own. And 2021, they were obviously back. And then once they got back and played a full season, like a lot of guys were just ready. And it created this like weird like bubble where there's a lot of players ready to debut in 2022. Also, we had the rule change. or I don't say rule changes, but where MLB actually is encouraging teams to bring up their prospects because you can get a draft pick you can get this and that if they finish they play all year and finish in the top of the rookie of the year so there isn't there are incentives for teams to do that but i'm still not sure that teams are going to be as aggressive this year as we saw with them last year i think last year was a weird crop where covid affected it but at the end of the day like there are still some values to be had we know that corbin carroll and gunner henderson are going to be on opening day rosters and play every day we know that they did they wouldn't have played in September to not start on the roster this year. But other ones, there, there's more question marks. Like Jordan Walker, like I can feel confident he's going to break camp with a team, but ultimately I'm not certain of that. You know, others that, like I'm thinking, looking at your list of others that were like on the platform of underdog at least, like Tristan Casas, yeah, he should be on the roster. He should play every day, I would think. I'd hope Art, so. As, as yeah. a Red Sox fan, I'm hoping Tristan Casas is playing every day. If not, then I got to go talk to someone. Yeah, but I mean, outside of these few, like there's just not a lot of rookies that I'm looking to take in, in this shallow format at least. And yep. in general, I think being conservative on rookies in redraft is the smart thing to do. Like, I, in general sense, like, this prospect guy's telling you not to take prospects in a redraft league. <laughs> so, it's no, of- first of all, I think Gunner and Carroll are both so interesting in the sense that they're like the top two prospects in baseball. But I feel like we already got like a pretty decent chunk of data on them just from you know them playing close to every day in September, especially. And I, I, I definitely think that that's affecting their ADPs across all formats. Just closing the loop on Carroll, yeah, what I'd say about him is at this point, the underdog price is so high. So if you haven't gotten him all, already, I do recommend fading. And But I, I like what you said, Eric, about how you're projecting him for a ton of stolen bases. I kind of think that if these, we no one knows how the new rules are going to play out, especially with stolen bases, Carroll's the fastest player. Is it out of the realm of possibility he could steal 50 bases? Like, I, I think that's again, if the rules end up rewarding the fastest players, you know, I think that could happen. So if I was really bullish on Corbin Carroll, I would prefer to target him in a roto league this season than on underdog. And that's where it comes back to, you know, just always thinking through all the different ways that you can, you know, invest in baseball or fantasy baseball or cards or, you know, season long bets or you know, pick them, like all these sort of things, just figure out who could benefit from what and then find where you can, you know, access that kind of. Yeah, for sure. I think that's really the best like model in any, anything, you know, not just underdog best ball, but in any redraft league, any league, even cards, like you said, like that, all these things matter. So do you have anything else you want to add about underdog in general or the best ball? Yeah, I think one thing that we lost a little bit of focus on at one point, just because, you know, there's always so much to talk about, was the weekly scoring, like how it actually sets up. So like I said, you draft 20 players and points are accumulated every week on a month, like Monday is the first day of the week and then it resets. And what you end up starting is three pitchers, three infielders, three outfielders and a flex. And that flex has to be a hitter. So an infielder or an outfielder. So of your 20-man roster, you're always starting three every week. What I was talking about, the idea that some people draft anchor outfield, for instance, let's say you take Aaron Judge. Assuming he stays healthy, every single week, he's probably going to be one of your three highest-scoring outfielders. That means you can probably take one less outfielder on your total team than you were planning to because – What's a late round outfielder going to do for you at that point if you already have Aaron Judge? And if you take two outfielders with your first two picks, 
that lessens the need for you to take late round outfielders even more. And that's just kind of that some of the next level stuff that a lot of smart people are starting to figure out about in a dog and strategize around. And when you combine that with, you know, your specific player takes that I know all the sharp listeners of the Toolshed pod are going to have, like that's where you can really start capitalizing on this. Yeah, it's all really good stuff here. I really want to do a draft now. I may hop off and <laughs> get into one. Right, same here. <laughs> yeah, it's drafting is addicting. And yeah, Eric, anything you got? No, I, I think we hit everything great. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking forward to baseball season so we can get some. I'm, I'm going to start doing some more best balls here and get to, into that pick them when the season starts. So I'm really excited because I'm going to be spending a lot of time on underdog this year and yeah, it's looking forward to it all. Uh, thanks a lot for, for coming on, Brendan, and you know, getting giving some additional insight for people that might not have. You know, even me, I said I'm 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 a you know, relative newcomer for the most part to to underdog, and I'm sure others out there are as well. So I, I, hopefully, this was very informative for those that are you know maybe new underdog but hadn't had a chance to check it out yet. But maybe now that they have all this, you know, the last 50, 55 minutes of info here and strategy and player talk, then maybe they'll go on and you know try out a best ball or something here. So yeah, thanks for coming on. No, absolutely guys. Definitely either send me, you know, whatever teams you take or, you know, feel free to treat them out yourselves. The first thing I always look at, I Bubba tweeted out one of his teams that he drafted today and I replied saying the first thing I always look at is where they took those pitchers. Because if I look at a team and it's all late round pitchers who, you know, you're kind of praying have like an ultimate breakout. I'm not going to feel as good about that as if you have that base. So that's definitely my advice going in. Just one other thing I want to shout out. I already mentioned baseball on Twitter at B three I S B O L. He's a must follow for anyone who's serious about playing baseball and underdog. And then I want to mention out dark sheep as well. I got to get these guys to change their handles because they're hard to plug mm-hmm. online, but <laughs> at D four R K S H three, three P underscore, just another really sharp, underdog baseball mind who in my opinion those guys are really important to follow for uh staying on top of all these macro trends that we've been talking about yeah awesome great stuff again thanks for coming on brendan you can follow brendan on the twitter sphere at well as long as twitter doesn't crash again like it did this <laughs> afternoon at too much tuma you can follow chris and i at rotocleg for chris at eric cross 04 for me at Toolshed pod for all of our shows here Check out all of the Substacks and Patrons that we all do, all three of us. We always appreciate your support, and we hope this was very informative for all the listeners, and we thank you for tuning in again this episode. We will be back again next time for more. I don't know what we have on deck next. What do we have on deck next, Chris? We got some question. more. Huh? I don't know. Good question. We'll figure it out. Some more Dynasty and Prospect talk, of course. But until then, everyone take care. <laughs> <laughs>